0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Alpha Geek Interviews live on Versus the World Radio, VTW Productions.com. I am your host, Other Todd. Our Alpha Geek for this week is the one and only bad astronomer, Phil Plate. If you wish to participate in the show, and you should, Come to vtwproductions.com and click on chat at the top of the page. I'll bring you to our web-based IRC chat client with embedded audio players so you can listen to the show and participate in chat. We will be looking for questions from what we refer to as the black void of the IRC later in the show. So start formulating your questions now. We will need them soon. If you wish to email the show, the address is show at alphageekradio.com. That is the show at alphageekradio.com coming to us from the miracle of the interwebs Phil Plate the bad astronomer welcome to Alpha Geek interviews
1: well thank you for welcoming me hmm thanks for having me here and for the welcome it is what we do now
0: where in the where in the country are you uh, calling us via the miracle of Skype right now
1: Boulder, Colorado.
0: Okay, so you have, you've actually been somewhere in the vicinity of uh, earthquake activity lately. D- did you feel it?
1: No, I slept through it, sadly. It wasn't that big of an earthquake out here. I mean, it, it, with, the, with the East Coast earthquake centered out of Virginia, everybody was talking about that. But in fact, uh, not even a day earlier, there was an, a, a slightly smaller quake in southern Colorado. And it's, it's pretty far from here, so I probably wouldn't have felt it had I been awake. And ironically, I don't know if it's ironic. It's in, in the Alanis Morissette uh, version of irony. I'll be uh, I'll be down there in a couple of weeks. So I actually be kind of curious to see if there was any damage in the the rocks and everything where I'm going. It's that's maybe maybe I'm not making any sense. Okay, let me let me start again. Uh, hey, thanks for welcoming me. No, 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 I won't go back that far. Uh, no, I'm going to Southern Colorado to do a TV talking head interview for a science show, and we're going to a place that has lots of rocks and clay formations and stuff, and I expect there may be some some debris on the ground. That'll be kind of cool to see that. I don't know. does that make any sense? Was that worth actually spending a minute on? I followed. It was good. You know, when I'm, when I'm sitting in my, my office in my pajamas, I never really know what's going on. TMI. <laughs> Thank well, you for joining us in your Pajamas could be a lot
0: worse. Can you describe them to us? Let me just uh, stop the broadcast here. Anyway, so, for those of you who may be listening to Alpha Geek interviews and being exposed to Bad Astronomer for the first time, a little background. So, you might more properly uh, be named Bad Scientist because what is your driving purpose in internet and life? What is it you do with your time?
1: (laughs) Well, I am, in fact, an astronomer. I have a I have a PhD, which makes me smart. At least, uh, you know, that's what I try to convince myself of. And I, you know, I worked with Hubble years ago and did a lot of science-y type stuff and decided over time I liked talking about it more than I liked doing it. So I started writing and and giving talks and that sort of thing. So for the past, oh, I don't know, decade or so, I've been online and, and writing books and doing podcasts and talking live on the web and such like this. To basically promote science and skeptical thinking, critical thinking in in people, because I think that's really important, and it's also fun and cool.
0: Now, in this day and age of information overload, the information age that we have been declared to be living in, uh, an important utility we need, I think, is someone to sort the crap from the actual facts. So I kind of classify you in my head right alongside Snopes.com as far as a reference for, okay, here's some science, air quotes, I'm seeing <laughs> up on the major media. And what actually sprang to mind when we were talking about earthquakes just now is several media outlets immediately leaping to the, ah, see, this is the fallout from this new uh, gas, natural gas extraction technique that we've been using, and it's causing earthquakes, and I just kind of face palmed at that point and thought of my interview coming with you and said i 'm going to ask bad astronomer about this stuff. Did you also encounter any of this uh, cracking
1: equals earthquakes? Oh, that fracking media um, only only on one site uh, so so oh, let 's see where do we start all right uh, You may have heard there was an earthquake on the East Coast a couple of days ago, centered uh, in central Virginia, actually not far from where I went to school for many years at University of Virginia. And uh, it, uh, you know, resonated throughout the country quite literally, and people were talking about it and joking about it a lot, which was awesome. The, the, the Twitter jokes were very funny. You know, pictures of lawn chairs turned over and things like that. I really got a kick out of all that. Um, and immediately. People were saying, "Oh my gosh, we never have earthquakes in Virginia. What could this be?" And I'm thinking, "What it could be is an earthquake, folks. You get them in Virginia, just not very often, and you don't get big ones like this very often. The last one was, you know, a century ago, but that that one a century ago was actually even bigger than this one. There are no states in the United States in the Union that do not have earthquakes. Let's see, that was was that a triple negative? I'm I'm going for a record here." I'm not sure if there are no states that don't not have seismic activity.
0: And yeah, that'll do. I need, I need actually, a Newspeak all 50 dictionary. states have
1: seismic activity. So Virginia is not immune to this. Uh, this just happened to be a really big one, and immediately people started jumping all over it. You know, what could be causing this? And I saw, you know, I got emails about, could it be solar flares? No, we haven't had a big solar flare in quite some time. Uh, there's no connection between earthquakes and solar activity. Um, the moon was not new. It had nothing to do with the moon, or full for that matter. Uh, it, uh, and, and as you said, on Daily Kos, actually, Daily coast there was a, an article about a guy who was very, very hard trying to connect mining, drilling, fracking. Fracking is where they pump high-pressure water into, uh, into cracks in the earth to drive out natural gas. And he's trying to, do, he's trying to connect that with earthquakes. And then somebody else on Daily Coast, and I love it when stuff like that happens, <laughs> said, yeah, not so much. I don't think so. So it just happens. You know, there was an earthquake in Colorado. There's one in Virginia. Hey, there was one in Japan a few months ago. Remember that? You know, these things happen. We live on an active planet. And so we're going to get earthquakes, and we're going to get them in unusual places sometimes. It's just statistics.
0: Now, having put yourself out there as someone who wishes to defend good science and minimize bad science in the public eye, I would imagine you're fairly busy and don't have to look very far for stuff to do. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, sadly, uh, it's it's avoiding it. That's it's hard. Uh, there's, you know, you you can sort of classify this this thing into a lot of different versions. There's there's just sort of bad science where it's just mistakes and things like that. People. Have misconceptions—the kind of thing you see on on Snopes, for example, where people think toilets flush one way in the northern hemisphere and a different way in the southern hemisphere—and that's just that's just silly. That's wrong. But the but Coriolis I, I, I effect—it's silly. It's a, it's a popular misconception. You can show why it's wrong. You can go into all kinds of details about the Coriolis effect and all that. But in, it is in fact wrong, and it's relatively harmless as these things go. But then there's sort of pathological science, and you know, people trying to connect. Comet uh, Elenin. I made a joke about that earlier before we had actually started here Comet um, Elenin is a, is a comet that's going to pass by the Earth in a little while and and there are a bunch of conspiracy theorists out there desperately trying to play up some sort of doomsday scenario with this comet which is a tiny chunk of ice which is getting nowhere near the Earth it's not even going to be that great of a comet to see in the sky but they want to connect it with earthquakes and solar storms and na 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 that to me is is pathological that is somebody twisting reality for whatever ends they have. Sometimes they're honest, they you know, they really think this is going to happen but they're wrong, or sometimes they're trying to make a buck and I see that a lot. People who have their videos and books to sell or they want the attention or whatever. Um to me, it doesn't really matter why they're promoting this kind of nonsense. The fact is the connection between these two things is that they are wrong either way. And and that's the kind of thing that bugs me. And and when it comes to these doomsday things, there's a real impact because people get scared. I get email all the time from people scared about 2012, about solar flares, about all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's also costing us a lot of money, and it could cost lives when it comes to things like global warming denial or people who are anti-vaccination. And you know, and then we're seeing people getting really sick and even dying because of bad science.
0: Yeah, that one hits Hey, oh, hey, how
1: do you like that? Sorry about that. Interesting sound (laughs) effect. I I won't do that again. I think you've invented a new noise. Okay, the first person to correctly guess what that was wins nothing but my (laughs) eternal admiration. Chat room, that's out to you. We'll check back in 40 seconds. I'll give you a hint. It's related to this.
0: There. Oh, you're drunk. I knew it. (laughs) That's it. Damn it. I should have been drunk too. This would be a whole lot more entertaining to just you and me.
1: Why are you i ahead?
0: Uh, uh, mm, incoherency. So, the doomsday proclaimers out to make a quick buck, or indeed uh, a slow, long, and sustained buck sometimes. Uh, you see that as a fairly unfortunate regular occurrence, uh, especially now in the age of uh, everyone being able to set up their own personal soapbox on the internet, internet to legitimize their view.
1: Yeah, you know, this is the the, the, you know, the greatest strength of the internet is that it gives everybody a voice, and the greatest fall- the greatest uh, uh, I was going to say fallacy, but that's the wrong word. The the greatest problem with the internet is that it gives everybody a voice. Um, this has always been true in the news. You could have somebody go on TV or write an op ed or write an article that's uh, just nonsense. the The problem now is that it this the nonsense spread spreads so quickly. And, um, and, and people have what's called a confirmation bias. You tend to seek out the information that confirms what you already believe. And so what, what this, you know, they call it the information age. I don't know if there's more information out there than there ever has been. Maybe there's certainly more Uh, more data in that it's just raw material information is 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 sort of data that's been processed and turned into actual knowledge so you know i don't know if there's more information out there but i think there's more access to the data and what happens is uh there's it's polarizing people so the the perfect example is something like global warming denial where um You have people saying, look, you know, 97% of climatologists agree, 97% of scientists who actually study the climate agree that we're getting warmer and that humans are the the cause of this. But what happens is it gets politicized, it gets on the news, it gets on the web and all that, and it polarizes people, uh, and the people who wish to believe one way or another just get pushed farther into that direction. And you know, I was just writing a post about this today. It'll go up here in a couple of days, saying, you know, it's okay to question scientific findings. I encourage questioning scientific findings as long as that questioning is done honestly and in good faith. And That's not really what's happening here. It's done with uh, with a political bias, with an ideological bias, and it's easy for people to consume this information. Or I should, yeah, I hate to even call it. It is information. It's just bad information. Uh, And so that's, that's, it's a problem. It's a real problem right now because again, you know, people, people vote. Well, you know, roughly half the people in this country who are eligible to vote do so. And this has real ramifications that we have to live with.
0: The debate over climate change is something that is of moment because we keep seeing more and more pronounced fallout from, the you know, the changes in the atmosphere, and the I'd say the other side, because I'm on the side that believes that climate change is occurring, number one, and is uh, being fueled by human activity. So that's where I fall on the side of the argument. We've moved beyond the place where anyone could reasonably deny that global warming is occurring. And I've just watched the debate shift into... Okay, fine, it's occurring, but it's a natural occurrence, and humans couldn't possibly be affecting the global systems. We're too tiny for that. Right. Just to see this self-reinforcing, okay, we're just going to change our argument, because we can't just deny that it's getting warmer anymore, because all the numbers keep coming in hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and consistently, and... I just see these people retreating into these little cliques and reinforcing their ideas. Okay, now we're going to talk about the fact that it's happening and it's nature and we can't affect it anyway, so we shouldn't change any of our activities. How
1: do you defeat that, or how do you penetrate yeah. that with, with truth? They're retreating faster than Arctic sea ice. Oh. oh! Thank you, folks. I'm here all day. What you did um, there, I saw it. <laughs> in, in, in the skeptical world, we call this changing the goalposts, where you say... You draw a line in the sand or you put up a goalpost and say, this. And then when somebody tears that apart and says, you're totally wrong, you know, they, they take a step back and then say, I meant this. So you can go and look at what a lot of the, um, oh, for example, Congress people like Inhofe and, and other people who, who uh, deny global warming. You, a few years back, they were saying, the earth's not warming up. And this hockey stick diagram, which shows the Earth's temperature very slowly increasing and then suddenly going way up about 100 years ago, around the start of the Industrial Age, uh, it's called a hockey stick because it looks like a hockey stick uh, on its side. Um, and they were saying, this isn't true, this isn't real, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, it is. And, and, you know, report after report showed, yes, this thing is really going on. Now they're backing off and saying, okay, sure, the planet's warming up, but it's not us. And it's like, yes, it is. You know, and I still see arguing people arguing out there. There's a guy on my blog, actually, who's been leaving comments trying to argue that carbon dioxide is not a greenhouse gas. I mean, that's how sort of real basic science uh, is trying to be overturned by some of these folks. Yeah, yes, carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. What that means is that the sunlight hits the earth and warms the earth, and that is radiated away as infrared light. Carbon dioxide... Uh, basically absorbs that and re-radiates it back downward and keeps us, keeps us warm. It's a, th- th- this greenhouse effect is, is, is fairly well understood. You can do a pretty simple calculation that shows that without an atmosphere, if the Earth were just rock, uh, the average temperature on our planet would be below freezing. I've done this. It's, it's, it's sort of you know, first year or second year physics in college. And so, uh, uh, without an atmosphere, our temperature would be much lower. The atmosphere actually holds heat in. So, I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get deep into details here, but that's that's sort of the thing. There's all levels of this, from basic science being ridiculously attacked, to all kinds of subtle things like like you're saying, and the, and the changing the moving of the goalposts here. And you know, right now, uh, climate gate uh, has been shown to be a complete manufactured controversy. This idea that emails that were stolen and, and the person who ever hacked into these computers w- has not been found as far as I know but these these stolen emails which were supposed to show scientists colluding and using trickery and fakery to, to, to promote global warming it's all baloney uh, it, it doesn't show any of that there's been there's been basically hearing after hearing about that and every single time the scientists have come out vindicated um, and uh, you know the, so that was manufactured in the meantime uh, the temperatures are going up, the Arctic ice is retreating. The sea levels are rising. And we're dumping um, 30, 30, billion tons, 30, billion, 30 billion tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere every year. I think it's 30 billion, uh, which is you know, a vast amount of, of CO2. And it's, it's increasing our planet's temperature. Boom. Done.
0: It blows my mind a bit that someone would argue, choose to argue, the piece of the argument that is demonstrably true. You can test it. It is repeatable. Happens the same way every time. Why have you chosen... I mean, well, I'm, I, maybe I'm hopeful that they've chosen that to argue because they've run out of everything else to argue.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. There's there's tons of stuff uh, they like to argue. I mean, look at creationists, right? Um, they're, they're not starting from um, a, a factual basis. They're starting from an ideological and belief-based basis belief-based basis uh which is very base and uh when you start that way when it's when when you when you've started with a conclusion and then you look around for facts to support it you, you, where do you go from there and so you have creationists arguing every level of evolution every level of argument that the earth is is billions of years old and they're wrong on every level i like i don't i don't care if you're arguing about the basics of radioactive dating or you're arguing about the flagella of a bacterium, you're wrong both ways, whether it's a detail or the gross overview. And it's the same thing with, you know, again, anti-vaxxers. You know, they, it's, it starts off with vaccines making people sick and then causing autism and then this and then that. And, and all of their claims are wrong. Vaccines don't cause these sicknesses, don't cause autism and, in fact, save lots of lives. I was just there was a, just a release uh, yesterday saying that thousands of babies' lives in Africa have been saved uh, due to the, the rotavirus, which is a, a virus that causes uh, diarrhea. And, you know, we, we kind of joke about diarrhea in America, but in fact, it kills a lot of people. If you think about, you know, if you can't get rid of it and your water's not clean, uh, you know, and you, and you can't get enough nutrients in your body, you die, especially kids. And there's a rotavirus vaccine that they've been giving in, in – Af- uh, excuse me, in Mexico – not Africa, and Mexico, and it's, it's been saving thousands of babies' lives over the past few years. So, you know, that's what science does. Uh, anti-science doesn't necessarily kill, but it, it can. It really can. We need to think carefully about this stuff because our lives depend on it.
0: It can certainly put people in a position to die where they might not have otherwise. The uh, the, yes. the anti-vaxxers is one that I've never really been able to wrap my head around. It's another one that seems to be pretty cut and dried from where I sit. You can see the benefit. Do yes. we still have polio? Only in teeny tiny corners of the world where they're chasing it with, with pitchforks and torches right now to try and finally eliminate it. That right. used to be the big thing that generations worried about Will I get polio? I remember that when I was a kid, and it was well, this huge, looming thing. And do we have? Do we even talk about polio anymore?
1: A little bit, because there are still pockets of it, and they're um, know, working very I like to hard talk to about kill about those. smallpox. Yeah. You know, when how many people do you know have died of smallpox? Uh,
0: precisely, oh, probably zero. no
1: one, because the last death, I believe, was in the early 1970s, when when the last pocket of it was driven out. It's gone, gone, and it killed hundreds of millions of people. I mean, there's no kidding that, that this was, you know, one of the greatest scientific successes of all time. I would put it up there with relativity and Newtonian uh, mechanics and the, and, you know, and, and, and evolution. Uh, that's, that's how big this is. Uh, and yet, you know, people, people still say, oh, we shouldn't vaccinate. And it, 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 the arguments that it causes autism are totally wrong. There have been studies with thousands and thousands of people. You know, here are thousands of people who have been vaccinated. Here are thousands of people who have not been vaccinated. Rates of autism in both groups the same, the same. So clearly, you know, that's not what's going on. And you know what? I don't hear the autism argument as much as I used to. I just hear about um, big pharma and all these sorts of things. Uh, from Jenny McCarthy and these other people who are saying, you know, vaccines cause problems, and and you know we don't need vaccines, and people are having uh, unbelievably chickenpox parties where they get their kids together to infect them with chickenpox. It's like this is this is dangerous. Babies are dying of pertussis, of whooping cough, in Australia, in America, all over the world, and you know we can prevent this. You just have to make sure enough people are vaccinated against it and get their boosters. I'm I had my pertussis booster, booster last year, so you know, I it, adults can carry it and give it to kids. We, it, 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 it's as trivial as going to the doctor and, and getting this done, and yet people don't do it. It's it's maddening. You know, as a parent of a child with autism, I very
0: quickly got this argument oh, it was the it was the vaccines that did it in my face, and I felt it was my job to go look into whether or not this was the case and if there was anything to be done. And it didn't take a whole lot of effort to discover that these arguments were completely false and were not based in any kind of fact. What do you think it is that stops people from taking that one additional step of perhaps I should check this out and just accepting things that are fed to them?
1: Um, we are not a rational species in general. Really? Uh, it, it, it's... Ironically, we have evolved to disbelieve in evolution. You know, we we tend to trust authority. Uh, we tend to look for um, what are called proximate causes, something nearby uh, that, that, you know, if, if A, then B, if they happen close together in time or space. And so these are all very natural things. Everybody does it. I do it too. But the thing is, we have to be very careful about that because... For example, autism tends to tends to be diagnosable around the age when kids are getting vaccinated. That doesn't mean the two are the same. Uh, you know, kids tend to start walking around or or talking around the same time they get vaccinated, but the two have nothing to do with each other. Uh, so you got to be careful when you when you link two things that happen at the same time because they may not be linked, and that's why we have really science. Is to, you have to ask this question, are these two things really connected? And if they, if they appear to be, how do I test that? How do I show that maybe they're not? Because you can, you can sort of say it's easy to find evidence that they are connected, um, but that doesn't prove they are. It's the one thing that comes along that, that shows they're not connected that proves that they aren't, if that makes any sense. It only takes one thing to show you're wrong, despite all the support you can find that you're right. And that's just not how people think. We tend to look for stuff that supports us, and and so uh, it's it's when it comes to vaccinations, especially. You know, I'm a parent, and I I had my daughter vaccinated, and I was hearing all of this stuff. And you know, every time something goes wrong in school, every time something happens with your kid, you look for uh, something to blame. You look for a cause. And if you you know, I can I can only imagine what it's like being the parent of an autistic child and and i really feel for you and i feel for all the other parents out there like that and it's so easy to want to find anything to grasp at anything uh as an explanation for this And, you know, whether you whether it's retribution from God or vaccinations or whatever, it's easy to grasp at that stuff. But we have to be super careful, especially when it comes to health issues or else we'll be tying, you know, high power lines to cancer or Wi-Fi signals to 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 people being allergic to them. All this kind of stuff which has real effects and can cost us a lot of money when we fight something that does not exist.
0: Yeah, I see there could be a great deal of danger there of uh, f- making us gloss over things that are real uh, because we're overly uh, bombarded with these things that are not but are sensational and make for uh, good
1: headlines on a slow news day. Yeah, and it never ends. You can connect solar flares to earthquakes. You can connect vaccines to autism. You can connect—oh my gosh! I, I the stuff I have to do all the time. You know, the moon to earthquakes. All of these kind of things. Um, but you, this this is—it's a never-ending flow of ideas, which is fine you know, ideas are how any sort of idea like this, any sort of brainstorming session like that is how we learn stuff. It's how we use our imagination. It's fantastic. But you have to apply some sort of governor to that. You have to apply some sort of rules to that or else everything becomes true. Everything causes everything else. And that's just not the way things are. We have to sort of winnow away and filter through all of the nonsense to find out what's real. And that's what science is. It's a way of taking a hundred ideas and finding the one or two that actually work and are correct. Well, you were describing
0: the way that the belief-based uh, people in an argument come into things, and I was thinking to myself that that is the precise opposite of the, of the scientific method. I mean, the, proceeding from the, I want to have this conclusion, now I'm going to go argue on how I got here. Right,
1: and, and <laughs> scientists are not immune to this. We are inoculated against it if you... <laughs> Pardon the the meta the, the meta metaphor there. I see what um, you did there. But <laughs> uh, but you know that happens as well when you when you f- have a result in a scientific experiment that you really really like. You know it's really easy to to not dig into things that might falsify it, and then what happens is you get Pons and Fleischman and cold fusion mm-hmm. or any number of other great you know, headlines quote unquote great headlines that turned out not to be right. But that's what that's what science is. It's a way of looking at this and saying, uh, "Hey, this might be right." But more importantly, how is it wrong? And uh, you know, it's it's not a it's not always a, a happy, joyful thing. It's not you know we don't like to be shown to be wrong. Who likes that? Uh, well, you know the answer is scientists do because that's how we learn. If it, If we if we believe in everything, we believe in nothing because then everything's true. Everything is caused by the gods, you know, and thunder is 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 the thunder god and all that sort of thing. Um, And science, the the cool thing about science is it's a it's a self um, it's a self supporting process. If it's done correctly, then it, it, it says, hey, this is correct and this isn't, or this is better than this other idea and if you're on the better path hopefully it'll lead to a path that's even better and eventually you learn stuff uh and the one argument i hear sometimes about that is oh there's no imagination involved it's all hard facts and and uh, a lack of emotion it's like that's just crap give me a break scientists are the most imaginative people i know do you do you really think that somebody came up with dark energy and dark matter because they had no imagination. <laughs> that 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 chemistry. That when you look at the the jumps in in the way uh, we understood how atoms work and quantum mechanics and relativity. That this took no imagination. Come on! Now I'm not taking away from artists and and that sort of thing. Of course, you know, human imagination is spread out across a lot of fields. But but you have to include science in that science is not a robotic thoughtless process of a to b to c to d it's not like that at all there are leaps of logic that we have to turn around and, and look back on and, and show whether it's right or wrong um there's all sorts of connections you have to make uh the the best scientists the ones that you hear about making a uh, huge progress in their field are among the most imaginative people we have alive today
0: now we all know that dark matter comes from Niblonians. Let me just move on from there. <laughs> now, from the IRC chat channel here, I have from Biomed Alchemist, I have one question. From an objective standpoint, is it possible that the powers that be in the scientific community could ever suppress an experiment because said results could be inconvenient to the institution of science?
1: That's a good question. And it's um, there are layers to that. I mean... When you say the powers that be, what do you mean? It's like there's, as far as I know, I'm, and, and certainly nobody's told me if this thing exists, there is no cabal of, of, you know, mustache-twirling scientists in a smoke-filled room saying, this finding is inconvenient to us, we must suppress it. Um, I picture that happens in politics a lot, but not in science. On the other hand, there are gatekeepers of information. There are, for example, universities. There are companies doing research, and there are the media who uh, who give out this information. Um, if you think Fox News is going to interview uh, a climate scientist who says that all the other people Fox News interviews is wrong, you know, uh, sure, that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, at the university level, it could. You know, if, if I do research for a university that shows that the university is doing something bad or that... Uh, this five million dollar grant the university is getting is is, inc- is, is evil. Uh, it's entirely within the, the you know the realm of possibility that that the, the, a dean or somebody like that might try to suppress it. Um, good luck. <laughs> um, <laughs> most of the scientists I know, if if the university started leaning on them to do something they didn't want to do, would be screaming bloody murder about it. Um, I, I, I can't give specific examples, I, you know, I don't want to out anybody or anything like that, but it does happen that you, that sometimes universities will say, you know, in our, in our press release, can we say this? And you say, no. You know, I'm, I'm going to be honest here. Uh, scientists just don't, scientists are not good at following those kind of rules. We're good at following the rules of science, but when it comes to administrative rules, usually not so much. So you know this this results gonna get out there. It's gonna get published. Um, with companies as well, you know companies doing research. Um, again, you know if, if I had a grant from Company X and it showed that th- this other project Company X is doing is killing people, uh, yeah, I, I'd go straight to the media about it. Or if the company tried to suppress it, uh, that's it, it's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of fame. It's a matter of doing the right thing. Most scientists are not doing this for the money. And they're not doing it for the fame. They're doing it because they love the exploration of the unknown. They want to learn about what the universe is telling us. So uh, it does happen. You you can watch these documentaries about the tobacco industry and the oil industry and all of that. And even even the pharmaceutical industry, which has some nefarious practices. Uh, But but in the end, a a lot of the scientists who are real scientists and doing this for the love of science... Uh, yeah, the, 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 the they're watermelon seeds. The harder you press on them, the fire, farther away they'll fly.
0: <laughs> I like that analogy. All right, that's coming up against our uh, first break in the show. Here We'll take a little break to rest our voices and drink some frosty liquid. You are listening to Alpha Geek Interviews live on Versus the World Radio, com. Check us out on the web. Check out the shows tab and all the fine productions from the network. You will be glad that you did. Got a little Mad World queued up for you guys here. We'll be back right after this. This show is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. With over 85,000 programs for more than 1,000 content providers, including leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Audible customers can also have their Audible content wirelessly delivered to their smart mobile devices daily, even while sleeping, taking the computer out of the equation. To find out more, visit vtwproductions.com and click on the audible.com advertisement on the left-hand side. Or visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash vtwproductions. New customers in the United States and Canada will receive a free audiobook download when they sign up via that link. audiblepodcast.com forward slash vtwproductions.
1: Productions, nerds on the internet. What more could you ask for? www.vtwproductions.com.
0: Alpha Geek Interviews continues live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. We have with us our Alpha Geek of the Day, Phil Plate, the bad astronomer. And during the break there, he's trying to talk to me about uh, where you're headed in the near future. I believe you're scheduled to go to DragonCon.
1: Yeah, um as I as I talk here live with you, in a few hours I have to pack and fly to do some TV talking head stuff for how the uh wow, I almost said the wrong name. Um 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 how the universe works, which is a, a TV show. It's a pretty good TV show. I I think it's on um Discovery Science and they're 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 gearing up for a second season, so I'm um doing a bunch of talking head stuff for them talking about, you know, comets and asteroids and things like that. I'm going to get home, I'm going to have three days, and then I have to fly to Dragon Con in Atlanta, which I'm really excited about because I, um, uh, I, I do love going to, to cons. I used to do that in high school and then stopped for a long time. wound up going to a World Con, I think it was a World Con in Baltimore. Yeah, it was a World Con. Um, as, as, as an astronomer, the Hubble Space Telescope set up a booth. And I said, I want to go, I want to sit at the booth. And they said, sure. And I went and remembered how much I love it. And then, uh, you know, I haven't really looked back since. So been doing Comic-Con and Dragon-Con, missed Comic-Con this year, uh, Missed and didn't go to Dragon-Con last year. So it's just been a, you know, catch-as-catch-can kind of thing. But I'm, I'm super excited. The problem is, you know, my schedule, my official schedule at Dragon-Con isn't so bad. I've got, you know, a bunch of panels I'm doing and everything. But I was talking with a friend last night, who wants me to do something. And I said, what else are you doing? And he gave me a rundown and it's like, Oh God, everything he's doing overlaps with what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's sort of that, that whole parallel universe thing. Everything's happening at the same time. And so it's going to be really hard to be able to do everything I want and, you know, drain my wallet in the huckster rooms. I'll just have to figure out how to do all that at the same time. Um, sell your organs. Um, uh, well that's, you know, the, 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 spending money thing is easy. <laughs> It's it's just finding time to do everything. Clone uh, yourself. Yeah, I think I actually, think cloning would be easier than actually trying to attend everything at DragonCon.
0: We'll get right on that.
1: <laughs> so the referrals
0: we got that sent us your direction as someone who would be a good uh, victim, I mean interviewee for our show uh, came from several alumni from Woodstock, which I thought was a very interesting place for a scientist to turn up.
1: Tell us a little bit about your Wootstock experiences. <laughs> I see. Um, putting me on the spot a bit. No, not at um, all. Wait, so, so if you don't know what Wootstock is, what the hell are you doing listening to this podcast? Exactly. But it's uh, it's Will Wheaton, Adam Savage, and Paul and Storm do a Geekapalooza kind of thing uh, where it's uh, it's nerdery and music and, and a geek fest on stage. And uh, they started doing it, and I was... Uh, insanely jealous uh, of not being able to get to it, and then, and then I got an email from Paul saying, "Hey, you know, we're doing Comic Con. Do you want to do it?" It's like, "Yes, yes." So, um, I didn't know what to do. It's like, we you know I have I have you know ten minutes. What am I going to do on stage? I can't I can't do asteroid impacts. I can't you know what kind of astronomy thing can I do? And I was talking with my wife about it. We were bouncing ideas back and forth, and kind of stumbled on this idea of. Uh, of showing pictures of astronomical objects which may resemble male body parts <laughs> i i 'll phrase it like that uh-huh. and it turns out there are quite a few um, that sort of hydrodynamic shape is common in nature if you if you have a jet of material that is ramming into. Uh, softer, gaseous material outside of it. Uh, you know, I, you, you can take this wherever you want, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. But y- you, you tend to see certain shapes repeating themselves over and over again. So I had a little bit of fun with that on stage and um, wound up doing it again in San Francisco at a smaller version of Woodstock. And again here in Boulder um, last year, which was awesome to be able to basically hop in my car, drive to the Boulder Theater, get on stage... With, uh, with Adam and Paul and Storm, Will couldn't be there. Um, but it, it's terrific. Woodstock is just amazing. It's, you know, they, they say it's three and a half hours of, of geekery and music. It's really like eight. It just seems to be... It goes on and on and on, but it's absolutely as much fun as any geek could, could wish to have. We had the honor of getting wired into the soundboard for
0: Woodstock 3.0 in San Diego a month or so ago. Oh, really? So, oh, yes. And so Alpha Geek Radio, which is the companion show to Alpha Geek Interviews, has basically the entirety of Woodstock 3 available for download, And except for the bits that were really heavily reliant on visuals, which did, just didn't make sense to, re, you know, to release those as recordings. But the experience of being at a Woodstock is a remarkable and wonderful thing, and I can recommend it to anyone listening if they get a chance to attend a Woodstock, especially in the form that they're looking to change Woodstock into, which is an actual two- to three-day festival-type, multi-stage extravaganza. I hope that comes to pass, and I hope I'm able to attend it, because it'll be just getting your nerd on to a
1: whole new level. Yeah, that would be fantastic. When I did it at at Comic-Con last year, it's it, you know it's it's several hours of sitting in a chair with a break in the middle and it's it's not easy on the audience especially since they are spending the the time uh, that's, that's actually things that are happening on stage you're spending that time laughing and that's hard to k- keep up for a long time <laughs> you know when when you're when you're going through a nerdgasm like that for four hours it probably changes changes your biochemistry so maybe um, lowering the density of it but extending the time. Uh, so, so that the the uh, actual volume is conserved uh, I, I don't know if I can be more geeky than this uh, would be fantastic and I would I would love that um, it Woodstock it, it just it's one of these things where you can go on YouTube and you can look at the the videos and everything but to be there to be surrounded by hundreds of other nerds uh, to you know to hear you know Molly Lewis saying she wants to have Stephen Fry's baby and all that kind of stuff is is. It, it's beyond description. It was pretty amazing. That one is
0: particularly full of win. Uh, little mm-hmm. little tiny Molly Lewis singing about wanting to bear his children. It's just... Aw. Or Adam Savage singing,
1: I will survive as Smeagol.
0: He upped the ante at Woodstock 3.0. Um, God, I can't remember. He, he premiered a new Gollum song, damn it. can't remember what it was. It'll come to me. <laughs> not, a, not important. Not of moment to what we're talking about now. All right, so will you be participating in uh, Joko Cruz Crazy? Did you get sucked into that one as well?
1: No, not this time. Um, I, I, I mean, I know about it, and a lot of my friends are going on it, and it would be it would be a lot of fun to do something like that, but I, I couldn't make it this time.
0: Yeah, I, I, will, I will make it to one of those one of these days. I, I, I vow it here before all of you. From the Versus the World forums, which you can get at vtwproductions.com, by clicking on forums, what a surprise, we have a question here from Demetrius. Actually, a couple questions. First, I get the impression that anti-intellectualism and distrust in science is on the rise, especially in the United States. How do you feel about this, and do you think the uh, and what do you think is the cause? Considering that we, we live in an increasingly technological world.
1: Uh, well, there are simple answers to that, and and subtle, layered answers to that. Um, you know, I could say Republicans and religion, but that would be unfair. Um, but certainly, that, that's the simple answer, but that is unfair. Um, it, but it seems that uh, in the 1990s, when, uh, when the Republican Party sort of embraced the religious right, is when this stuff got ramped up to the next level. And that's when, uh, you know, creationism has always been, or, and, and religious incursion in classrooms has always been kind of a problem. But it's really, it's really become a problem in the past few years. When the governor of Texas, Rick Perry, is, is a dyed-in-the-wool creationist and anti-global warming person and, and has appointed three creationists in a row to head the state board of education. You know, that's kind of a problem. Um, and again, you know, I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with religion per se. I've, I've had a lot of people accuse me of having a problem with religion. It's like, no, you know, I, I really don't. I feel that people should be able to believe what they want, and that's fine, as long as it doesn't start interfering with other people's beliefs or, in fact, reality. And, you know, school is where we teach science. It's not where we teach religion. We have a whole constitution about that. So uh, you know that it, it it just that's that's why I think it's been so so prominent lately, especially with uh, the media. Uh, you know, people are saying the media is biased to the left and biased to the right. And as Jon Stewart on on uh, The Daily Show has pointed out, no, it's biased for sensationalism. And so it, it it's not that it's left or right. It's just anything versus anything. And so if you have ninety seven percent of climatologists, I hate to keep beating this, but there you go. You know, if you have thousands and thousands of climatologists all saying that global warming is real and caused by humans, if, you know, the media find one guy who says, oh, thermodynamics, oh, blah, 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 uh, you know, it makes it seem like there's a big controversy, but it's not. It's manufactured. It's what I call a controversy, which I found out is, is, is a word I didn't invent. It was already existing, which made me upset. I thought I could maybe patent it um, or trademark it. But, but that's what's going on. You know, the media... Promulgate uh, this this versus mentality, and in the meantime, politics and ideology amplifies it as well. And these two things are a positive feedback mechanism, and so now we've got um, all the Republican candidates, except for John Huntsman, saying global warming is a hoax or whatever. Uh, they don't believe in evolution and all of this, and it's it's maddening. and And, and i and I'm picking on the Republicans because. Uh, that tends to be where science plays in. Uh, you, know, you, can, you can find Democrat stuff that they say as well. I'm not too concerned about that right now because the Democrats aren't putting forth probably a candidate except for Obama. Um, and Obama's not really anti-science as, as, as fervently as the Republicans are. I'm not shy about this. Uh, you know, I, I will come out and say... When I, you know, when I, when I feel that politicians are incurring, there's some sort of incursion on science, but look, you know, it's just the facts. It's the Republicans who are attacking science far more than the Democrats are. And, and that's where we stand. Also from the forums,
0: if you were put in charge of space policy for the next few decades, what
1: would your primary aim be? Embezzle a billion dollars and disappear. How human? I'm on record. I, I, I put this on the blog. Um, A few years ago, there was this uh, popular vote about who to get to run NASA. And, you know, Neil Tyson was there, Bill Nye, I was on that list, a bunch of other people. And I said, you don't want me in charge of NASA because the money will disappear and so will I. Um, There is not enough money on this planet to make me want to do that job. Um, That is a thankless job with Congress always, always putting NASA on the chopping block. You know, NASA gets less than 1% of the federal budget. And it's just, that's just shocking to me. And everybody's saying, "What do we do with with the James Webb Space Telescope, the, the Hubble successor, swallowing up more money?" Uh, which which is a complicated issue. I won't go into it here. It's a compli- I, I just wrote about it recently, but it's uh, it's it's a problem. But you know, we need. You've got Congress saying we want you to build a rocket that can put people on a near Earth asteroid, on the Moon, and on Mars. And here's a quarter of the money you need to do it. You know, that's what happened with, with, with George Bush when he said, you know, I want you guys to go to Mars and then didn't give NASA any money. And that was sort of, that was, it was a big problem because then NASA had to start taking money from other things. That's what's called an unfunded mandate. You have to do this, no money to do it. So they started taking money from other things and kind of started this downward spiral, uh, that NASA is still trying to pull itself out of. And, you know, it's a mess, um, But I think in some ways, NASA's doing things right in that they're saying, look, a lot of our budget is going to go towards private space. So you've got companies like uh, SpaceX, which is successfully launching rockets into orbit and doing very well. That was founded by Elon Musk, who made his fortune on PayPal and uh, Tesla, uh, electric cars. And um, they're actually, you know, they're... They're building rockets, and these rockets are working, and it's pretty amazing. And they're not the only ones. There are other groups doing this as well. Um, uh, in, 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 everybody's lamenting, saying NASA's, it, it, oh, God, this stuff's making me crazy, too. You see in the media and on the blogs, people saying Obama's killing the space program. And it's like, well, Obama's not doing it. And he's not killing the space program, even if he were killing NASA. That's not what's happening. It's manned space flight that's in trouble right now. And even then, it's not that big of trouble. We don't have a rocket to replace the shuttle. And it's going to be five or six years before we do. But people seem to forget that the last Apollo mission landed on the moon in 1972, and the shuttle didn't launch until 1980 or 81. So, in fact, this gap that we're facing... Uh, for being able to launch astronauts into orbit will almost certainly be shorter than that gap after Apollo. So things are, you know, in in some ways things are more dire than people think, and in some ways they're less. We really need to pick our battles here and and keep our eyes open and look at this realistically. You know, there will be people in space again soon. The question is how to do it, how to do it effectively and safely and uh, for the least amount of money possible. I think a big difference between the 70s and now
0: also is if we can you know, take off the Go Go USA Patriot hat for a minute. This time there are more entrants into the manned space field. We have other countries that are seriously entertaining putting men in space on on their own, and we're not without being the U.S. or the
1: USSR back in the day. That's right. China and India have both said they want to put people on the moon. Uh, China has launched people into space. They want to put up a space station. Um, India's rocket program has had several successes with uh, scientific probes. Uh, And there are other groups as well, the European Space Agency and other countries uh, who are getting into this. Um, You know, I'll be honest. I'm an American. I want to see Americans in space. I want to see American engineering and scientific know-how behind a lot of this. Uh, And it bugs me. That uh, that we're falling behind these other countries, um, as you know what, as a matter of nationalistic pride. It's you know I don't think that's necessarily jingoism, um, but in fact, uh, my you know my future, my daughter's future, depends on America doing well technologically and scientifically. It, 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 that's also true in the global economy. We Americans drive a lot of the global economy. Clearly. Because the economy of the world collapsed a couple of years ago when our economy collapsed. So we need to be out there pushing these frontiers. Uh, and for all of the, the political calls for American innovation, um, you know, a lot of it is the same people holding us back and saying, you know, we don't want to privatize this. We don't want to invest in science and technology. And that's a terrible idea. The space program costs us very little. Um, and we get a huge amount out of it. And I think NASA really should be uh, paving that road and then letting, you know, once, once that road is paved, let private industry and everything come along behind it. You know, I, when the space shuttle came out, it was kind of built as a space truck. And we should have known then. It's like, you know what? NASA's not in the business of trucking. They're, they're, in, the, they're in the business of, of exploring. And let's let's you know figure out how to do this, and then let other people uh, uh, clean up after. No, I clean up is the wrong word, but other people follow uh, once once that path is cleared.
0: See, the big nerd in me wants to see what we get out of the space program accidentally, because I look back at the Apollo program and our lifting engines sucked by comparison to the nation we were competing with in the form of the Soviet Union. They had incredible lifting power. We had lousy lifting power, so we had to do this little end run and make everything smaller and lighter. So, because our rockets sucked, we wound up with the integrated circuit. Oh, you know, that that little rather important thing to our daily life now was almost a side effect of the space program, and I'm curious to see what's the next... Unexpected side effect of something we had to develop to make the space program work better. What's that going to give us here on Earth? And if we don't pursue the space program aggressively, I think we're going to miss out on all these possible unexpected, you know, serendipity moments.
1: That is a um, that's what I call an after the fact argument. That is very powerful and very good. Um, you can say because of Apollo, uh, literally. Uh, the computers got better because they had to, to, to do that. Um, quality control, the idea of how to control quality, improved vastly in the decade that uh, that Apollo was being worked on. Uh, all kind, there were a million side effects, all kinds of medical things. Um, it is not an exaggeration to say that the digital camera that everybody has in their mobile phone and i imagine everybody listening to this podcast right now has a has some sort of digital camera whether it's embedded in their phone or they own a camera itself that it, there's it is a direct descendant of the digital uh, detectors that were developed for hubble and so you know that is a multi billion dollar industry that that basically uh, came about because of because of astronomy So, there are these side effects, and these are fantastic arguments because what happened, and and let me be careful here and say look, this always happens. It has never not happened that scientific exploration didn't pay off in some unexpected way. Every time you push an unknown uh, back, every time you break through some sort of barrier, uh, some sort of border, you learn something that has ramifications over everything, and that's because reality, science, is a tapestry. Everything is related to everything else. So when you, when you make a digital detector better, and it turns out medical researchers use digital detectors, uh, you wind up helping people medically, even though this was designed to look for black holes on the you know, halfway across the universe. So this is a great after-the-fact argument. But for me, that's not the reason you do this. The reason we do this is because we're human. We want to know what's around that next corner. We want to know what's over that hill. We want to be able to stand up on top of a mountain and look around and see what's out there. We like mysteries. We like solving puzzles. That's how we are evolved to be. And science is the most noble, in my opinion, and and the the most effective outcome of, of this desire. And, uh, you know, there are bad ramifications of that and that, you know, our technology is causing the earth to, to warm up. Uh, the spread of diseases has increased. There's, there's been a lot of woe and problems because of this. But that's not, that's not science's fault. Science is a tool. You know, I can use a shovel to plant a garden and I can use it to, you know, whack somebody on the head. It's not, it's not the shovel's fault. We have to choose to use these things uh, wisely and, and do what is the noble thing. And that's, I think, what most scientists want to do.
0: Here's hoping we get more of that attitude and fewer Luddites. But that's a whole yes. other discussion. All right, we are running low on time, so now you're going to get packing to get out to your talking head thing. So let me get all James Lipton on you now and hit you with the ever-evolving nerdly questionnaire from Alpha Geek Interviews.
1: All righty. Hit me. What is your favorite word? Angafangen. And what is your least favorite word? It's actually the past tense of to begin in German. And it just cracks me up. "Angefangen." Also linoleum. Lin, linoleum. That's a good one. Say it with me. Linoleum. And your least favorite word? Um, Ignorance. Oh! How do you like that? Willful ignorance. How about that? Mm, the I, word just I, bugs me.
0: I will accept that the, the two-word two combo as your answer. Ignorance can be cured, by the way. One hundred percent curable. We have the cure. It is here in this bottle. What turns you on, creatively, spiritually, whatever? <laughs>
1: um, I, I said to a friend of mine the other day, "Nothing's hotter." Uh, no, that won't work. That's not funny. Never mind. Um, <laughs> now I have to know. No, it's it, it's it's a long, it's too complicated. It is a long, complicated. You have to be there kind of moment. Okay. Cool. Um, you know what turns me on? Uh, curiosity. Uh, I know a lot of people who aren't curious. I've met a lot of people who aren't curious and I, you know, and I, ironically, I have to be curious about that. How can you not be curious? How can you not want to know what's going on around you? And certainly there, there can be fear of the unknown. You know, if I'm, if I'm curious about something, I might find out something I don't want to know. Um, but for me, knowing is better than not knowing under any circumstance. And, um, Nothing, nothing is more of a turn on, and and I don't care if you mean that, uh, you know, emotionally, mentally, or even physically, than somebody who is curious, someone who's who's excited about something, somebody who's interested about something, somebody who wants to learn more about something. That is, that's the best thing ever.
0: And what turns you off?
1: The opposite of that. So lack, there you
0: go. No lack of inquiry. Uh,
1: also, strong body odor. Uh, no, I'm just making that up.
0: Oh, you're going to Dragon uh, Con? Oh, but but
1: honestly, willful ignorance, that is the thing that shuts me down faster than anything. I just that, It makes me angry. Somebody who doesn't want to know, they know that there's more out there and don't want to know about it. Bums me out. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Geology or meteorology. I'm on record with this, too. I'm fascinated by that stuff uh most astronomers are pretty interested in meteorology because it impacts you know how we observe <laughs> if there's if it 's raining you can 't do well some kinds of astronomy, other kinds you can like radio astronomy um but geology as well you know I live in boulder i 'm surrounded by geology and i I just love it um and if I could do that, i would see geology to me would seem to be the micro
0: version of the macro that is astronomy
1: well uh you know it used to be that. Uh, a, you could study Mars and be an astronomer Now if you study Mars, you're a geologist Or an astrobiologist Or a climatologist uh, Mars is a world now It's not a light in the sky And so very few people say I'm an astronomer, I study Mars <laughs> I'm a planetary <laughs> geologist You're a planetary scientist now So you know, th- there's all this overlap and, and one thing evolves into another That's the wonder of science The more we learn, the more of it there is and what profession would you absolutely not like to be associated with? Uh, associated with? Or do? Um, anything that involves me being in a cubicle. I, I did that, you know, and, and well, while those jobs could have been fun, I mean, I worked on Hubble, and I was essentially in a cubicle, and I worked on uh, educational outreach in a cubicle, and the job itself is awesome. But sitting there and having to get up and going to work, I work from home. You know, I'm a writer more than anything else these days. And so, uh, you know, right now I am literally wearing pajama bottoms and a T-shirt. And, and that's, that's the life. You know, stepping over my dog uh, to get to my office is, is a traffic jam for me now. So it's, it's, it per, it's perfect. It fits me wonderfully. This does not suck. <laughs> exactly. You know, people say, you're going to get so bored at home. It's like, yeah, it's been four years, folks, and I'm still having a blast, so uh, there you go. If it's 1,200 days, I think I'm doing okay. What is the nerdiest thing you have ever done and been proud of? Uh, Puns, I would have to say, in general. I love making nerdy puns on Twitter. Uh, the nerdiest thing I've ever done and that I'm proud of. probably stood on the stage at Woodstock and made astronomical jokes about genitalia. Yeah, that would be kind of hard to top, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm terrified that they'll say you have to do more, and I have to figure something out. I don't know where I'm going to go from there. Choose a different body part. What is? The... I did. I covered a few. You'd be surprised. I got to go find and, that and video probably, now. Probably appalled.
0: No, yeah, it takes a lot more than to appall me. But you don't know me real. What is the nerdiest thing you've ever been, ever done and
1: been ashamed of? I am never ashamed of being a nerd. So how do you like that for an answer? Okay. Um, I am 100% in Team Will Wheaton with this. Being, being a geek is being proud of what you are a geek about. It's a meta thing about being a geek. And so, you know, I wouldn't be on an alpha geek podcast if, if, uh, if, if I didn't feel that way. So for me, that's, that's important. What is your favorite curse word? They all are, (laughs) um, I don't know. You know, I I use all the standard curse words uh, in private, not in public. Um, Usually I just say nuts. Uh, Yeah, that's all I can come up with. That's kind of sad.
0: No, nuts are not sad. (laughs) Nuts can be very happy. What are you talking about? And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you
1: arrive at the pearly gates? I exist. Awesome. Yeah, we're done. That was it. Easy peasy. <laughs> that would—I mean—the very fact that there is a Pearly Gates and a God there would be enough. Okay. He could just—he could just smile at me, wink, okay. told- turn to the side, sweep with his left arm, and say, "Come on in," and that would be enough. Most excellent.
0: Now you had mentioned earlier several times that you write and that uh, you've posted, but we didn't explicitly told people where they can find you. So shameless plug time. Bring it. Where can we find you on the interwebs?
1: Oh, my gosh. I hope you all have a pencil and paper or a smartphone or something to write this down. So, I blog with Discover Magazine, so if you, and it's called Bad Astronomy. So, if you just look up Bad Astronomy, you will find it. I've been on the web since 1993, folks. 1993, my first webpage in September. So, it's not hard to find me online there. So, Bad Astronomy... Um, I'm on uh, Twitter as Bad Astronomer. I'm on Facebook. You can look me up there. I have Google Plus right now. You can find me there. Uh, I write occasionally for Blaster, which is the Sci-Fi Channel's web portal. I owe them an article right now. I will probably write it on the plane today. Uh, I've written a couple of books. One's called Bad Astronomy. The other one's called Death from the Skies. You can find those on my blog. Uh, I I'm occasionally do the talking head interview for TV shows, I do podcasts and radio, and I sit around in my office drinking coffee and eating my wife's chocolate chip cookies. So that's pretty much where you can find me uh, everywhere. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> All right. I believe
0: that wraps it up, because you need time to go pack for your travels. Please travel safely and
1: rejoin us on the internet as soon as you can. Thanks, and... and. uh to the person who recommended me for this podcast, is it okay to say who? Oh, yes. We, we actually got you from multiple vectors. Oh, uh, I thought it was Mike Furman. It was Mike Furman. Uh, followed
0: up un, without her knowing, otherwise, Marion Call also, because at the end of every interview, once we go off the air, I'm going to hit you with this as well. I ask for referrals of other people who right. you think would be a good idea. Well, Marion would be
1: the first person I'd say. Yeah,
0: Marion Call, after Mike had already gotten me in touch with, he said, oh, you, you've got to get Phil. Like, Phil, <laughs> like, yeah, he's he's on next week after you. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> and I heard Mike perform. Now Mike was with Chris Hardwick. They were hard and firm, yes, as a musical group. And I I saw Mike perform at Woodstock in in San Francisco, and and almost had a coronary. as laughing so hard. It was awesome.
0: He was one of the best parts of Woodstock 3.0. Uh, yeah, which, he
1: does the Chicken Monkey Duck song.
0: Yep, Chicken Monkey Duck and which clear the performed floor. performed
1: live is beyond incredible. It is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen.
0: He has been described to us as the human smile, and now we know why. Yeah, he's, and so that's awesome that he would recommend me. Because in the form of my shameless plug, we're going to send you all to vtwproductions.com under Alpha Geek, and just three episodes back, you will find Mike Furman, and then after that, Marion Call, and after that, Steptoe. So there's all kinds of fun, great things to go back in time and listen to because they are awesome. And they all led to you, which makes them even more awesome. See what True. I did there. Coming up, actually, we have a weird one this next week. Uh, We had to schedule it for Monday. We typically do these recordings on Friday, but his uh, availability was such that uh, Hank Green of the Vlogbrothers will be joining us live on the air for his recording of Alpha Geek Interviews Monday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you have time in your schedule on that weird date and time, please join us in the IRC. Submit your questions to the forums on vtwproductions.com. And the week after that, Tentatively, we have Brian Ibbett coming on board from Coverville, the cover music show, which has something like 800 episodes under its belt. Yeah, he's a little prolific with the (laughs) podcasting there. So we've got uh, Hank and Brian coming up in the weeks ahead. Always looking for good suggestions. So join us on the forums. Send your suggestions into the show at alphageekradio.com. That is the show at alphageekradio.com. Phil, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and delaying
1: your packing to be here with us today. (laughs) Yep, going to jump up and do one more load of laundry as soon as we're done here. (laughs) The exciting (laughs) life
0: of Bad Astronomer.
1: Yeah, it's a homebody here.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you all for listening. And we are out of here.